2: Hey everyone, welcome back to Waypoint Radio. It is Friday, May twenty third, twenty nineteen. You're listening to episode two thirty eight, the Austin's mouth is fucked up edition. So he's <laughs> not, he's not here. Uh, instead, in, yeah, Austin's been a week in LA, and then they went into his mouth and did. Uh, look, Austin. Hope he's passed on a message. Get your teeth checked. Yep. Like, reliably... <laughs> Don't be like Several Austin. Several times a year. <laughs> Don't be. And I'm not even just put this on Austin. Austin getting his teeth checked, discovering that teeth are a thing that need to be looked at uh, year after year, cared <laughs> yep. for, revealed how little, and this is not Danielle. Danielle, you are separated from this. Unless you need to reveal something and then I'll be deeply disappointed. <laughs> just how little care the Waypoint staff puts into their teeth. Just deep reveals of, yeah, I haven't been there and like, eight years.
3: You oh my kidding? God. <laughs> I floss every Rob? day. I go twice a year.
2: Rob's
4: how your teeth? went for the first time in like a decade. Uh, a few decade. Um, wow. <laughs> yeah, well, so, okay. So, but here's the, but here's what's great. Here's what's, here's what's awesome. Going to the dentist, uh, you know, is kind of idiomatically terrible, but actually now it's much more like going to the uh, like DMV or the RMV to yeah. like get your license and, and plates <laughs> renewed or something like so that. So also because terrible? my <laughs> no like but terrible in a way that's primarily bureaucratic, right? Yeah. Like okay, it's not the it's not like I wasn't scared of going to the dentist that's keeping me from doing that. One, I wasn't insured. And so yeah. I was like, you know, my teeth feel fine? Do I, do I have like, the they're not falling out Two $300 so. for what? Yeah. For whatever the fuck they're going to find. So that was, that was like putting me off from doing it. But then I was like, great. Now I've got dental insurance and I call the fucking dentist and I'm like, yo, you take this insurance, right? And they're like, absolutely. Let's make an appointment. <laughs> I was like, great. And they get in there and they're like, Ooh, we get, you know, it's been a while. So we're gonna do a bunch of cleanings and, uh, there's some fillings that need to be done. So I get booked for a bunch of appointments. And then right as like the third or or fourth appointment is happening, uh, insurance rejects all the claims. It no. says We're not covering this. And I'm <laughs> like, "Wait, what the hell?" So I talked to the dentist and I'm say, and, and I'm like, "What you said this you took my insurance, so what happened here?" And their response was, "Oh, well, um you know, the thing is we take some plans with this insurance company, oh, my God. but not yours." Uh, and there's no way for us to know that until we just like call them and send in the billing code. Are you and fucking? And then it turned me? out that uh, you had a different class of plan than the one that uh, they usually like that we usually take around here. So uh, that'll be a thousand dollars, please.
3: Yeah. That's fucking fraud uh, and- <laughs> at that point. Yeah, that yeah. seems
2: like if you were a lawyer, you would say, I'm going to see you. And they would go, Good point. You know what? You don't actually owe that money, but because you're know, yeah. us, it's. But well, also, the problem
4: the is, cards. Cards. I'm having this conversation while I have like a temporary filling, oh. and so I'm like, "This is." So I got them to knock a bunch off the bill, uh, so I didn't end up paying because because I was like, "Excuse me," like I did do the thing where I was like, mm, "That's your fuck up, not mine." Mm-hmm. Uh, so they now that you know they just knocked a bunch off the bill, um, and then did the work and, and finish finished up. But like, this is what I'm talking about though, is like, even if you have the, like, even if you have dental insurance, Oh, it turns out that your dental insurance only works at like eight different dentists in Brooklyn. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Mm -hmm. That's helpful.
3: Yeah. We're going through all of this with, uh, with mental health coverage. There's a whole union, not to get too far in the weeds here, but there's an entire union, uh, committee now for mental health benefits to try to get us some some more robust mental health benefits and we're in those meetings with like the chief benefits people and like Cigna where you know uh they might be you know somebody in in a midwest call center who's like oh there's a there's a an available therapist eight miles away and it's like That probably is awesome if you're in a city with like a car where you get on the highway, you go eight miles down the road and in 10 minutes you are somewhere. In New York City, eight miles might be a three and a half hour ordeal where you need to take a ferry, you know, to a subway, to a bus, to pay a guy, you know, to like (laughs) let you cross the bridge to, you (laughs) know, the the billy goats gruff to something else. So it's like a whole – gosh, just benefits are – or thing.
2: Did yeah. you did you see that story for this week of the speaking of like the New York subway of like the Joker character? This yeah. person mm-hmm. who is g- like I, I'm. 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 Sum- summarized but the, the the short of it is someone. There's already all sorts of delays with like you know public transit in New York. It's a total shit show. Yep. There needs repairs need to be done. State new, of emergency uh, know, for
3: three years or whatever it's been now. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. but apparently there has been s- someone going around like pulling emergency brakes, like fucking things up on purpose and then just like disappearing into the tunnels.
4: Well, and the way they're doing it sounds amazing. Like, I mean, look, this person is a huge asshole. Yeah. Uh, But, but but (laughs) the fact that they were saying this person is doing it from the exterior of the train, like they're hopping as a train is leaving the station. They're hopping on the back and getting access to like some emergency external control box shit. That's on the last car. And that's how they're, like, activating the emergency brake system. Jeez. And then they're bailing and running through the tunnels, finding an emergency exit, and, like, vanishing into the ether. <laughs> and, you know, that's way – I thought it was just somebody, like, who's, finding a thing. Who's saying thing, this? Like, uh, It was
2: reported on, like, uh, read it the, on our goddamn websites. sites. Yeah, yeah. but what, what's,
5: <laughs> the, what's the source is what I'm asking. Because if the source the, like, is the actual, MTA, like,
2: yeah, it was like they my handed thought over is a bunch of, they're well,
5: the fucking MTA up their was... trains. Yeah,
3: I, honestly, <laughs> <laughs> and just
5: blaming it on the mysterious outside That's outsider. real.
3: That's how that I'm would be, that would be the
2: truly some Joker twisted shit is actually <laughs> bureaucracy.
3: It's really just a regular like fuck up employee who's just calling himself you know the what? Joker. Like,
2: that would be a 2019 DC Comics reboot. Earth 4.56 of the Joker is like no the real evil is the bureaucracy (laughs) Um, and it's just the Joker is just reinvented as some middle person in the who's just shuffling some papers and they're just having a bad day and you feel bad for them and (laughs) Just to get your paperwork,
4: joker. Yeah. Somebody keeps stopping New York's trains. It turns out to be like a safety inspector who's like, "No, you can't. I'm sorry, you can't run this. Uh, this, this you might all like, die." The, yeah, this, this, train this should tunnel not be needs going. to be repaired, and this this train is completely unfit for service. You need to take it down.
2: And they're just like, tune Ooh, into issue two when like they uh, take out some of the red tape. <laughs>
4: That's where the stuff goes, Honest right? It's God. like, if only someone Crisis could stop that infinite government regulation.
3: Bureaucrat. <laughs> <laughs> Truly. <laughs> Truly. Uh, I feel like a superhero. Like, I'm just, I'm going up against <laughs> the worst thing in the universe. Whatever the guy with the beard and the butt. I don't know his name. The big bad guy. What? He's got nothing on hmm? the MTA. The beard and the, <laughs> the butt. You know, he's got who? like a, be- a chin and there's a thing with his butt. What? Bo- Thanos? 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 The, the big bad guy with the okay. butt?
1: Okay. Oh. oh
5: right. This is your fault, Patrick. <laughs> what? What's the, the what Thanos think, part is my what? fault? The butt part. <laughs> oh, that's I did taste I know. that. Image. He has you put that, butt. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Fair. You
5: put that image <laughs> into the Slack, and now that's
2: what people think. <laughs> but I put all that I image in the Slack because Josh Brolin put it in the Instagram. The IG, please. <laughs> the IG. Um, on the gram. Wait, does it so, not say Insta
4: anymore?
2: No, we're on IG now. Okay. Or the gram. Can, but
3: you should say the gram.
2: The egg, you know, yeah. the new part of the psychology. Like you might, well, you, well you, it depends on the context, right? So it's like, oh, I put it on the gram or I grammed it, but it's like, oh, my IG is blank. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
4: Yeah.
2: Rob. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's bring this full circle. Yeah, you finished this this week. You uh, published a review of uh, a Total War game, a series that you have had a complicated history with. You have not necessarily liked the last couple of these. We've talked a lot about this uh, new one uh, that you. I think the headline was the best, like the best Total War game in a decade, which is quite a claim. It's you know
4: honestly, I forgot that. Like for me, I think it's really down to. It's certainly within a decade. Like, I think this thing's only close competition is Shogun 2, maybe. Uh, But honestly, this might be a series high. I'm not sure. This is a game series that a lot of time, when all is said and done, my playtime can be measured in, like, you know, 100, 200 hours. So it's tough to to figure out exactly uh, where this rates after only, like, 40 or 50. But it is definitely one of the best out of the box I've ever seen. And it gets so many things right that other games in the series have, have screwed up. And, uh, I think the thing that really impressed me is just the way it solves the end game problem or reimagines
2: the end game problem. So what is like the end game problem? Like, ah, you've conquered. Now there's nothing to do. Start a new game. Yeah. Like (laughs) I I think there's
4: a couple things, uh, Rowan Kaiser, I want to say, wrote a piece about this ages ago, but how it's history That's doesn't a reasonable end, assumption, even if you're wrong. <laughs>
1: yeah,
4: uh, he, I think he wrote about how history doesn't end, tend to lead to climactic battles, right? Like usually, the way like a conflict pans out is that somebody is like beaten in a few decisive battles, and then there's kind of a long like mopping up phase as their resistance is slowly like broken down and they're conquered, right? So like. You know, late war, World War II, Germany's not in there with like an even shot of winning battles. It's kind of them just getting rolled up in every direction. And that's the way a lot of military conflicts pan out. But a lot of strategy games try to have this like photo finish idea of, okay, now you reach the end game and you're like a great power. Now things should get really exciting. And that's really intention with the whole notion of, well, if you're at that point where you're about to basically become an unchallengeable superpower, there's no way to create
2: that dramatic end game. There's situation. no boss fight in a strategy game because mm-hmm. it doesn't conform to the same like narrative uh arcs.
4: Right, and I and I think this probably this stuff only I think gets exaggerated because maybe of the influence of like civilization, where literally there's like a finish line, and then somebody escapes Earth on a rocket ship uh, to <laughs> you know to win the game. Um, and so I think a lot of strategy games struggle with this, and it is a tough problem to solve. The way total war games have sometimes solved it is by introducing some introducing some really arbitrary end game events that basically put you at a disadvantage and then force you to claw your way to the finish line. And so in Shogun two, for instance, once you had basically become the dominant power in Japan, you hit an event called realm divide, at which point it was basically like everybody became your mortal enemy and began like swarming you. And, you just had to kind of ride out the storm and then conquer the rest of Japan against this like mat these these massive odds. In Rome, two they basically would have the Roman Senate up uh, like banish you as a Roman faction, and then you'd be at war with Rome and the Roman Civil War. And the Senate would just be gifted like stack after stack of like powerful armies, and you had to kill them. And that's kind of the that's a model that this series has used a lot. Uh, what what happens here is that they kind of, they made it so that that cycle actually repeats throughout the game. And instead of having one endgame situation that you're building towards where everyone turns against one, each other, basically their, their solution is, actually, people are going to be turning against each other every step of the way. Like, every time mm-hmm. someone climbs a rung of the ladder, a bunch of people are going to want to pull that person down. And that's going to be kind of the structure of this campaign. And as you keep winning through those challenges, the fight to stay on that rung of the ladder just gets tougher. And so what they ended up doing for the end game is it's more dynamic than a lot of their just fight to the finish endgames and other, in other Total War entries. What ends up happening is you declare yourself emperor, which it turns out you can do by accident, by the way.
2: Ah oh, well, I just didn't, you know. Oh, look, look! I, you know, I just showed up to work. I put in the effort, and then you know,
3: it happened. To Napoleon Rob. You know, yeah,
4: exactly. Just the the pope tripped, and uh, you know, the, the crown fell on his head.
3: Happened.
4: The uh, what ended up happening with with me is that I ended up fighting with somebody else who was claiming. Uh, to be the emperor of China, and I was like, "Damned, if that's happening!" Uh, you know, <laughs> the, I'm not the emperor of China, but I'm definitely sure you're not the emperor of China. <laughs> and so, I was in this coalition fighting uh, this this faction, uh, the Song, and we ended up laying siege to their imperial capital, and then we ended up storming it because we finally beaten all their armies. And this was the weird thing. Most of their empire was somewhere else in China, but their capital, just because of the vagaries of the way the game had shaken out, was like this weird island of territory they had in the middle of a bunch of like formerly neutral powers. And so it was this weird thing where their entire balance of power, their entire base was somewhere else, but somehow their capital was like on the front line, surrounded by enemies. <laughs> so this city's right there. We end up like conquering it. I'm the one who storms it and you get this option you're warned hey this is an imperial seat like this is where a credible claim to uh the empire has been made if you keep this city you're basically saying i'm the new emperor and i was like hmm, i shouldn't do that i'm not like i'm not ready for i'm not ready for that like i was yeah. definitely not at the whole like Claim the emperorship level of power, but here was the problem. I had two options. Uh, one was that I could basically just loot the city and leave, and at first it was going to kill a whole bunch of people. Uh, but it would have given me a lot of money, and so I could have just taken a big lump sum payment. It's kind of like the lottery, I guess. Like, do you want to take the lump sum or do you want to like you know invest it? The lump sum was pretty compelling, and I could have done a lot, of, a lot with that money. But instead, I was like, "This city's pretty awesome. It's like just printing money—well, minting it, really." But <laughs> you know, it's got a lot of really advanced buildings. It generates a lot of money. It generates some nice buffs across the faction. And so I was like, mm, "I don't think I'm going to give it back. I think this city makes a very nice addition to my <laughs> empire," which is not. Ready to be an empire, but we'll leave it there. So I decide to keep it, and immediately everyone's like, oh, so you're declaring yourself emperor now. And I get this new mission that's like, destroy all the other emperors. Oh. And it's like there's other... So there's other people who are at that level who are claiming to be emperor of China. And in order to win the game, I have to eliminate them. Like, Oh, if somebody else is out there saying I'm the emperor of China. They Checklist. have to be destroyed. <laughs> yeah. And so immediately I was like, I guess, um, who well, hold on now? Like we're still friends, right? Like we were allies five minutes ago and no, no, immediately everyone's like, you lose all your allies, your coalition breaks apart, and then everyone starts turning against you because you have a massive diplomatic penalty against you. And uh, so, like my bestie, my my bestie in this game, Lady Wu, uh, we had this really long border together that had basically been peaceful, and so I was able to put all my really money making ventures along that border because it was kind of like uh, my backyard, right? It was I didn't have to worry about attack coming from that direction. Immediately, I'm looking at that and I'm like oh, we got a big problem here. (laughs) And meanwhile, she's like racing around, snapping up whoever is left that's neutral between us. And I'm doing the same. And it's clear that we're just going to have this brawl now. And what's kind of cool there is it doesn't totally end diplomacy. There's other people still in the game trying to get back into the fight, back into this level. But it's going to be way more expensive to keep people off your back. And you basically do have to eliminate anyone at your level. And so it just turns into this really dramatic and like paranoid finish uh, as, as you've been trying to eliminate everyone at your level. As the Emperor, you do get some pretty cool units. Wow. They're really expensive. <laughs> I couldn't afford them. That was the problem. I was like, this is what happens
2: when you claim the emperorship too early. Oh, so I was you like, get to be, you get this baller title, but you can't use any of the actual benefits and then oh. everyone fucking hates you. It's like
4: buying too much house, man. It, it, you're, you're like, all right. Now, what, what does it take to maintain this empire? Oh, the operating costs are that much, huh? <laughs> I thought it'd just be fine once I, yeah. So I started being like, yes, we will build the dragon. We'll build the dragon fire archers or something like that. And then I'm like, "What do they cost per turn to maintain those archers?" And I was like, "Hmm, those guys cost as much as an entire wealthy province generates in a year. Interesting. That's good. Uh, so it, you know, it's 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 a cool solution to the problem, though, because it's credible. Like, you're going to generate those big fights. The end game triggers when there are enough people kind of in your weight class to have those fights. Uh, but it doesn't feel Completely arbitrary the way I've seen it in other games, and mm-hmm. uh, it's, it's really neat how it's of a piece with everything they do through every stage of the game.
3: Let me ask you this, Rob. Yeah, after 1500 hours of Into the Breach, am I ready for a big girl strategy game like this?
4: I think it occupies such a different headspace,
3: sure. Is the thing,
4: <laughs> like, I think. There is a lot to enjoy in a game like this, um, and this is going to be, as strategy games go, this is, this is pretty accessible, um, but I think the big difference is Into the Breach is fundamentally about like you stare at a chess problem for a long time, yes. and you're like, what is the correct sequence of moves here? In Total War Three Kingdoms, you're doing a little bit of that. You're, you're sitting back and thinking, like, how do I get out of this box that I put myself in? But at the same time, it's such a dynamic system that a lot of unexpected things can happen that change your calculations really drastically. Like, uh, you know, for instance, say you accidentally execute somebody who turns out to be really important. And who could say, yeah, like there was a piece on the board and you're like, I'm going to capture that piece. I'm going to eliminate it from the board because that thing is a huge danger to me and my empire. So I've got to take them out. Except that piece has like personal friendships with those powerful characters in the game and taking them out means that you have an entire countries who are like, you're basically a war criminal and we're (laughs) going to put you down. And so that's kind of the, that's, that's the weird thing about this. A dynamic system like this is way more suspenseful in, in, in some ways. I think this is as good a place as any to, to climb aboard, but it's such a different headspace than like the tactical puzzler, mm. right? Because the solutions here aren't really elegant. This isn't, oh, I'm going to find like the flawless victory and that's what I should be striving for. This is more like, I can win this with 80% casualties, and that'll be good.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Fair.
2: (laughs) All right. Well, uh, Rob's uh, full review of the game is up on the site uh, now. You can check that out. Um, Also, update from Aaron Gordon over at Jalopnik. New York's brake-pulling subway supervillain has delayed more than 740 trains. This is a... This is a good. This is a good lead to a, a story. This is how you get me to read about <laughs> the fucking New York subway, which Ugh. I hear way too much already about through Twitter <laughs> because too many writers I follow are in New York. We well, this is media, right?
3: We all suffer. Yeah.
2: Well, this has been uh, uh, one of the explanations for like other tangent, like Bill De Blasio, like already like starting with like a very low floor. Is his problem is like every all the political reporters live in New York, don't like him, and so don't even give him like the the kind of arc or a chance that like most politicians, even ones that people don't think have much of a shot, because all the the people covering him already live in New York and (laughs) don't like him. Mm. Um, Jerry Lee Heath almost caught him. He was standing right there. It was three fifty one p.m. last Sunday. Heath, a train supervisor on duty at Times Square. Got a call from Rail Control Center, the operational brain of New York City's subway system. According to an incident report from that day, that gets away the narrative Loptic even though that's accurate. <laughs> someone waiting for a Brooklyn-bound train of Fulton Street Lorman hadn't alerted staff that they had seen someone riding along the back of a departing Uptown Express train. Maybe Heath could make it to the platform in time, if the person was still clinging to the back of the train. Two minutes later, Heath was on the platform as the train edged onto the station. Into the station, he spotted someone just inside the rear cab. The safety cables were detached, and the rear door of the train was open. It was him, the person who had been nefariously triggering emergency brakes for months, with the sole intention, apparently, of being a pain thousands upon thousands of butts. Yep. <laughs> that's, a good, that's a good line. Anyway, there's a, a explanation of this uh, instant report from Aaron Gordon and Reg Lopnik. Mm-hmm. It is, uh, I am enjoying You know what, if I have to listen to people uh, complain about the subway... Give me a little bit of drama and I can <laughs> I can I can get into this. Um Danielle, you've been digging into, I don't know, maybe it's dramatic or not. I it's you've been playing a horror game. Layers of Fear yes.
1: 2. Two part the New two. game.
2: Uh the, the the new game from the studio who I keep co- they made a game called Observer. I've been playing a game called Observation, and yet I keep calling it Observer <laughs> because I'm mixing them up with my mind. But Layers of Fear <laughs> 2 is a sequel to uh, what, like sort of their their initial breakout hit um, yeah. from like three years ago, I want to say, something like that.
3: Something like that. It may have actually been, I think I was at Polygon at the time, actually, when I first played it. So, so maybe four years ago. Or possibly five. Mm. One of those. Okay. This Bloober team, and they actually made a PS4 launch game uh, called Basement Crawl, which wasn't very good, that they then remade into a pretty cool Bomberman-esque game. Then started making these like really, I think, uh, fun and interesting and very colorful and extremely unsubtle uh, horror and sci-fi uh, walking simulator with puzzle elements types of games. So yeah, Layers of Fear. Then they made Observer, and that was I think 2017. Uh, and then now, yeah, we're, a now huge, we're and here. a huge
2: leap like between. like yes. I I played Layers of like put like an hour of Layers of Fear and was sure. like. This is fine. The aesthetic didn't do much for me, and it wasn't scaring me that much, so I just sort of moved on. But yeah. Observer, I found to be, uh, like j- just way more gripping, much more character driven, and uh, yeah, I, I, I like Observer quite a bit.
3: Yeah, yeah, same. I loved it. I, I wrote a, a piece on it uh, when it came out about uh, how effective it was at being like a really depressing cyberpunk kind of experience, and much more mechanically. Uh, deep as well. Like I'm not saying it. It was like systems driven or anything like that. But there were no. But a you lot had, you more, had more to elements. do. Yeah.
2: Yeah. There was a yeah. lot of detective elements where you were going into rooms and piecing together what happened. So it wasn't so much as in a lot of these kind of horror games where it's like just you walk into the room, you wait for the scary thing to happen, <laughs> and then you sprint to the next area, which is fine. Like that's yeah. I, I am not going to denigrate the the uh, you know aesthetic scare. Uh, uh, Jump Factory horror game. I'm, I love those too. But Observer was nice because it seemed like it was a, there was more for the player to do, even if it was like pretty surface level, but it just felt like you then engaged with the, both aesthetic of the the world and like the material things it was trying to say about that world uh, more interestingly.
3: Yeah, I agree. I agree completely. I think Layers of Fear 2 is a little bit of a split the difference, at least thus far. Again, I'm 70 okay. minutes in. According to Steam, I I played 70 minutes. Uh, Patrick, I got to a point where I kept dying, and then I was like, all right, it's like 8.45. I should probably Uh, leave the office.
2: uh, That's like the worst thing you can possibly say about a horror game is like I I died a bunch of times. I I don't actually think it's that
3: bad, but I I did die a couple times, and I was at the office late, so I was like, all right, fuck it, I'm going home.
2: Uh, (laughs) So hold on,
4: fair. My (laughs) impression of Layers of Fear has always been that it was kind of like somebody looked at PT and was like, cool, that seems popular. And we're just like, let's rock and roll with that.
3: A little bit, yeah. The, Which, the whole thing about it was, it was doing that certainly. It's like an, art, it an
2: artist, right? It's like, a mad we artist, like a, a mad
3: painter. Yeah. You're exploring different themes of his life and things like that. The thing that I thought was cool about Layers of Fear was that it, it is playing on sort of like, you look here and then the scripting or, or whatever will change the room. So if you look somewhere else, actually the entire room or the entire structure would change on you. It is just a trick. Obviously it's right. not like a brilliantly like restructured repuzzling that you actually have to kind of figure out or anything, but it was a, an effective trick. No, I, I mean, it, yeah,
4: it's cool. Like the, the whole, like what if the portrait of Dorian Gray could reach shape reality is yeah. a cool concept. But what I'm interested in here is like, how does one keep dying that early in the game, right? Because like a lot of these things, especially if they're a little more on rails, they're more about like evoking that sense of, whoa, that's a crazy fucked up thing you just saw. Wild. Feels spooky. Uh, sorry, it's <laughs> not to be so dismissive, what <laughs> an entire, I, that's what wow. an entire wow. subgenre right. wow. of
2: horror. Here we Tell
3: are. That's how you really
2: feel, Rob. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Look, Don't hire Rob to consult on your fucking horror game. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe
4: or maybe do hire me, because, like, I'll, I'll be real with you. Yeah. You'll, you'll know.
2: <laughs> yeah. Wow. He, trailer, trailer, but, he turns but, that around to drag me.
4: God
3: wow. damn it. Master of, of dragging. But my the
4: question Emperor. is, like, I didn't hear, so, like, layers of fear I heard was scary, but not necessarily, like, in the, will constantly try to kill you in the way, like, um... Oh gosh, what was that horror game where you're journal? Yes, Outlast, perfect. You yes, exactly. Where Outlast continually just wanted to fuck you up and kill you and force you to restart. Especially that. I'm curious, like, yeah. yeah, So I'm curious, like, how is this one basically killing you off like so so much that early in the game? What's there? Are some fail
3: states. Um, I'm also, I don't know how long this is. The first one was not very long. I think it was two hours, something like that. I actually didn't finish it, but then I, of course, one of the reasons it took off is because streamer, it got popular with streamers. And so I've watched a lot of streams of it. Um, I don't mean to make this sound as if it's super difficult. There are failure states, basically. Uh, and I don't want to make it sound as if, like, I'm so frustrated with it. I literally, like, died, like, two or three times and was just in the office late. So this is not, like, an indictment of this game. Like, oh, it's annoying and sucks and throw it out the window or anything like that. Um, what it's doing, I think, uh, is is doing a lot of that let's evoke things. Let's, let's evoke horror. And I should probably set this up. This one is set in a in a I actually think much more interesting world uh, than the first one. The first one is just sort of a mad mansion with a mad artist who you know had had gone, obviously with all of this stuff. Content warning for mental illness and all of that. This is not going to be subtle. It's not going to be sensitive to things uh, about mental illness. So like, let's put that out there. Uh, but you're on a cruise ship. You're an actor. Uh, like a famous Speak actor. You, baby. No, I know <laughs> exactly. Uh, it's about that subtle, and you are under the purview of a re- like a, a again a mad film director instead of a mad artist this time, who is all about controlling you, who is all about sort of making you create characters and, and things like that. So it's it's sort of examining. Those elements a little bit, and you are going through this cruise ship. At first, you're kind of going through cabins, and you know you're picking up little photos and mementos and, and clues that are telling you a bit about the story. Then you go into a sort of a backstory element that has to do with children and a pirate ship. It's all these like weird nautical themes kind of being thrown at you, which I huh. found really interesting and really cool actually, because uh, it's it is doing a lot of the same things as Layers of Fear One, but in a I think much more interesting and less explored territory perhaps Um, at least in terms of the actual physical territory being on a boat is weird being on a boat is like a weird singular it's like you have this this tiny little world that is separated in a lot of like very real ways from the rest of the world so a lot of bizarre fucked up things can happen basically uh, which is already some somewhat interesting in its own there's a little bit of like titanic vibes like oh you're on a luxury cruise liner in a you know in, in the past, in the in history, it's not all the way back to 1912 or anything, but it is. Are there other people? The or are
2: you just like I'm the only person on this ghost ship? Like what? How? Sort how is of. How does it like? Okay. Uh, okay.
3: Sort of. You're definitely. Oh, like so you don't want
2: to spoil? Is it something you don't want to spoil? Like how the premise like sets up? Or I'm just trying to figure out like yeah. because these game these games being like some, more yeah. on the low but more on the low budget side, like I try to contrive ways for the player to be by themselves. So like an observer, for example, yes. where like, you're a detective that's going around knocking on doors. You're in a uh like a really lower class, uh, marginalized neighborhood in which there's a lot of drug use. Um and they spent all their like, money on Rutger Hauer.
0: They really well, did. Hey, and,
2: well, <laughs> and well it's got they spend their money on what is like their most effective uh strength, which is like aesthetic and visuals, right? Yeah. And so um and that's not necessarily like a nice fully featured character who can talk nicely it's it's um, um it's other things it's like really weird imagery so anyways like this is all to say an observer everyone's door is closed yep. like you're going <laughs> into very few rooms like you can go through this like biggish space but you're like knocking on doors and you're getting a lot of voice acting like they and it works like you don't ever feel like it's the kind of thing in a video game where like well, geez, this character can jump, but, like, this convenient bike is just something I can't get around. <laughs> yep. um, na- narratively, it fits for what they're going for, and it's also within the realm of the scope of the game. Like, they find a way to to do both. So I guess that was me getting at, like, yeah. what is their trick this time to to pull that off?
3: Yeah, absolutely. A part of it is being on a ship and being in these really confined spaces in a lot of cases uh, part of it is, I'll just say there's a lot of uh, mannequins being used God damn. <laughs> in a way that is very- Condemned,
2: like, baby. Condemned. Oh, yeah. Br- more but mannequins. Also rage. Mannequins are scary as shit.
3: Also rage. <laughs> Good. Uh, there's a lot of uh, the use of sort of like lighting and staging and blocking uh, in a very deliberate way. Like you are an actor- being prepared for a role and, or maybe acting in a role. It's not always entirely clear when you're on stage and when you're not on stage basically in this game. And so there's a lot of stuff about like, oh, this actor is blocked here. This actor is blocked here. And there's a lot of use of mannequins. There is some animation. There is some character animation, maybe a little bit more than Layers of Fear 1. But again, yeah, it's not a ton of character animation. It's not a ton of like people talking. There's plenty of dialogue and and voice acting, But not as much, you know, you're not watching lips move as much, which is, of course, a technical limitation. I actually looked at the credits briefly, and it does look like a very small team, again, made this game. Uh, which I think is consistent with their previous games as well. Like a pretty small team, pretty limited resources. And I do think they're doing a lot with those resources. I, I was freaking out. And I was in like a well-lit office, you know, with my headphones on, playing the game, you know, uh, yesterday evening in the office. And I jumped and I screamed a little bit. And I'm sure I scared the crap out of the second floor, which is just fine. Uh, <laughs> She's
2: just looking at teenager Instagram. That's right. You would be scared too. You would
3: be scared too. Okay, friends? Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I do think it's effective. I love the setting. I love the whole idea of, like, being on a ship. And, of course, I love the the maybe not very subtle approach of, like, what is it to create a character and what is this crazy director doing and all this kind of stuff. Cheesy, not subtle, but I think well done and effective thus far.
2: That's. I, I mean, that's what those games are. I mean, like, yeah. Observer is also not – So I think it has, like, some interesting things to say, but it is certainly pulling out – a sledgehammer oh, yeah. as it does so. Yeah. Um, Which is fine because, like, it, it, maybe this is low-hanging fruit for the horror genre, one in which uh time and time again uh the easy route is taken because the presumption is, well, you're just here to, as Rob says, like, this is why Rob has this response because <laughs> the genre is popularized and, and is, it, is, you know, for, for good reason – really being just like shallow and like, oh, it's weird and uh <laughs> and it's a jump scare and you get some violins and like that's it. And it's like so part of like a response to an observer, um, or right, an amnesia or or yeah. soma is like, damn, like when someone just takes a little bit of time to like try and do some like interesting character and story work with these, it's it shows how much room the genre still has to grow like we've we're seeing this in film a lot in horror the last like yeah. five years or so you know Baba Duke um hereditary um uh movies of that ilk uh, in which you start to see a response of like well what do we call this new wave of horror films like art horror or <laughs> it's like nah it's just a horror movie and just the genre has largely been popularized as Freddie Jason, Jason X. and jump scares yeah. but like yeah. there's nothing inherent to the genre that prevents it from being more interesting but uh i like what the blooper team does which is like well we're gonna give you just enough and we're not pretending we're like more high-minded like like soma like soma's really trying to use the genre to like say something uh really deep about the human condition and something existential whereas like you know observer and uh and layers of fear seem a little more like well here's enough to keep you going but like don't don't necessarily get too caught up in the details necessarily.
3: <laughs> yeah, it is very much like a theme park ride, uh, but it's like a – to to put a very, very uh, fine spin on it, it's more of a Disney theme park ride than a Universal theme park ride, which is to say I – mean, oh. maybe that's mm-hmm. not an entirely fair assumption, but there's always a story behind every element of like a Disney ride. There's always like, oh, oh if you look okay. at it from this right. angle, there's like seven little you know, bits of the mise-en-scene that will tell you a little something extra – all right, let's just say, like, a Disney theme park ride versus, like, a Six Flags theme park ride. Like, there's always, like, a story mm. behind it. There's always a a little bit of attention to detail put into every little element. There's, like, a little
2: more craft behind, like, the whole experience yeah. as opposed to just, like, there's a fucking dinosaur yep. and it's going to come out <laughs> and it's cool as shit because dinosaurs are cool. Yeah. Which is true, and sometimes that's fine.
3: That's it, it's more than fine. This is not like a, oh, this is better. It's just this is an approach to it, right?
2: What, Rob? What?
3: Rob's, Rob's not happy. No, I was actually what? I was
4: actually curious about uh, one thing. Actually, quick aside, Please. just small thing. I didn't get this off my chest about Rage Two. There's mannequins <laughs> fucking everywhere. Okay, this is the they other are. thing about they like, are. whoa, this apocalypse is crazy. Like, look how fucked up things are. These, you know, apocalyptic <laughs> cultists have put like TVs on the heads of mannequins and used them for target practice. That's wild. What an extreme world this is. <laughs> <laughs> and there is one car, the Rolla in Rage in, in Rage Two, uh, which literally its model always has like a mannequin like just draped across the top of the roof, but not secured in any way. It just won't come off. Like it's like there's a like somebody dropped a mannequin on the roof and it just
2: like it it just rides there.
4: It melted there
3: like, a little
4: like, bit. <laughs> oh yeah, my maybe.
2: god. Okay, like for, further tangent. Uh last weekend, my wife and I were going to uh, a, f- a graduation party for a member of our uh, extended family, and we're pulling up in the car to, like, take a left, and I look over to my right, and, you know, someone pulls up into the lane to go straight, and, you know, I'm taking a left turn, and uh, they've got uh, something strapped to the top of their car, <laughs> and it's 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 a lawnmower. Like, it's a, they, clearly, like, there's a Home Depot, not that far. Okay. Like, they went there, clearly bought on, yeah. You know, we had a lot of rain. Grass is turning into a safari in days so you know Wynn got himself a lawnmower and I'm looking at it he kind of looks at me kind of nods you know does that thing while you're waiting at a stoplight and I look closer at the lawnmower oh no nothing is strapping this down to the car that I can tell and then now he's weirded out more because I'm staring for a long time (laughs) at this point Like, like am I am I losing am I losing my mind like where's the strap He's got his windows all the way up. And it's like, usually like if you got a strap around it, you got to roll yeah. it down a little bit and because you got some rope or something you don't want to cut it. I can't find anything. And I pointed that out to my wife and I was like, can you look? Like, <laughs> what am I missing? And she's like, I don't think that lawnmower is strapped down. And it's at that moment where like, maybe we should say something that like the, you know, the left turn signal comes on first. We go and I take the slowest left turn signal of my life. <laughs> I was like, I need to know how this ends. Like, I like this seems like the kind of thing where this man could just go into the middle of the <laughs> of this cr- crossing and a lawnmower is just going over the over the car, and like it stays on fine. And we go to her left, and like she's cr- crane has the window down, craned out. Like, what's the conclusion to this story? And he, he goes out of view, and I've it haunted me for days. We're never gonna I, know. I, I, I'm never gonna know. Like, okay. Did he have it? Is was there... it invisible tape? Okay. I don't know.
4: Is there a possibility? that It was secured via a cable running under the trunk lid. Like, did you get a view of the back oh, like window? in the back? Oh, yeah. right,
2: so w- yeah, it's possible, it's possible. It's definitely, it's, I'm just saying, like, upon like, also, a 30 was it second-
4: standing up like someone's
2: about to push it, or was it flipped on its back so that like, well, no, it was in the box like it was, it was in the box, like it was like he had just bought it, like the lawnmower wasn't even removed. Oh, from that's the box, even it was weirder. like, I gotta go home. Put oil in it, and usually if it's a box, like it's going to be a pretty obvious cable. Like you're doing a Christmas tree yeah. Like, yeah. You know, through the windows and over the. I don't know, man. I, I hope I, you know, I'm haunted. Yeah. <laughs>
3: Honestly, yeah, this is.
2: I'm gonna go to I'm gonna go to one of those Reddit like short scary story threads. Like this is what <laughs> this is the one I'm gonna put out there. Like where's the punchline? It's like no, that's it. Like that's I just it. I'm up at night wondering what happened to this goddamn lawnmower. The whole I time did I pictured... find out.
3: <laughs> I never did find out. The whole time I pictured—I don't know why—but I pictured a riding lawnmower with a mannequin riding it, just like sure. phantom mannequin, you know like if one hand on the wheel, like looking at you, has a John Deere cap on, just like the whole. T- I don't know why. That's just how I pictured this. If Rage story. Two
2: had that as a vehicle, you could ride around. It. It'd be more interesting than anything in that game currently. Uh, but the the thing that I was actually
4: going to ask—I'm <laughs> yeah. just curious about this. Sometimes when people use like the 1930s as a setting there's kind of a weird stereotypical old-timey newspaper man voice that everything oh, yeah. ends up written in like BioShock trades in this very lightly but in general the writing's pretty strong in the BioShock games and characters don't just devolve into patter But I am kind of curious, is this a game that feels like it's set in the 1920s or 30s? Or does it feel like it's a game set in like kind of a cartoonish imagining of the 1930s if it were like a radio drama?
3: So it's very funny that you say that because there is one of the voice actors, uh, the person who's playing your agent, uh, who you, you know, you get notes, you get little things, you get objects that like... Trigger up an audio cue that are like, "Oh, you're remembering this thing happening." Who is like the most Brooklyn ass? Just like, "Hey, what's he gonna do? Kill you?" Like it's this is your agent, <coughs> you know, kind of talking about this like, you know, "quote unquote" nutty film director who's this weird recluse who who makes beautiful art, but like, eh, it's fine, you know, he's weird. It's fine, and it's it, that is very much that the like newspaper man, you know, sort of thing going on. Uh, there's, there's a little bit of the cartoonish going on here and I will say it, it is the sledgehammer approach for sure. Yeah. Like very much the team bloover, like this ain't subtle, <laughs> like nothing about this is subtle. Uh, but we're having a lot of fun with imagery and a lot of fun with like spooky things happening in this weird ship that might actually just be a stage, but it's, maybe it's also a ship and uh, who knows, you know, cause all sorts of weird things are going on here. Uh, but it's it's very much my shit, and I am very much enjoying it thus far. Even though I did die a couple times, uh, so there are those sequences that are like, oh, you can fail this. It, it it's auto, you know, saving. You
2: need to run around the corner, and you didn't do it fast exactly. enough. Exactly, it's
3: exactly stuff like that. Although, like the sequence before this, that was sort of an, was a possibility to fail. I got through it just fine in like five minutes. You know, died a couple times, restarted, whatever. Right, um, right. I'm hoping that's the case for this sequence. I'll let you all know if I don't finish this in five minutes of actually just, you know, sitting down and being like, okay, what do I have to do? Okay, I did the thing. Um, which, again, like, I don't mind these types of things as long as they are not the norm in the game. I'm fine with, like, a small pace, you know, like, change of pace, okay, there's there's a failure state here, that sort of thing, as long as it doesn't keep me stuck for more than a few minutes, because at that point we're going to have we're going to have issues team bloober uh but again well
2: that's you know yeah. that was a lot of the, that was a lot of the problem with you know soma um yes. and yeah. like it's it's monster design which i we're like ju- it's it's been long enough like i feel like we got to be pretty close to hearing what um that team oh, is, is up so. to which i know they have i know they have two project development one was supposed to be horror and one non-horror um obviously my preference is to hear about one of those over the other um, yes. but i'm super curious to see because so much of the horror genre was defined by amnesia yes. um to a degree that was it infected Soma. Um so whereas Soma it was it should have been more of like an evolution or a response of like, hey, well, this is what amnesia did, and the, the genre followed. Soma just kind of doubled down on a lot of and I love the story in Soma. It's oh, one yeah. of my favorite stories in video games ever, quite easily. Go download the version of the game now that like lets you basically turn off the monsters and like just go enjoy that story. Um, but I am so curious to see like what their solution is or like what they think, where the genre goes from here, because even in games like Layers of Fear are still building and playing off things that Amnesia yeah. um, sort of like laid the gauntlet down for uh, so many years ago. So,
1: yeah,
5: absolutely.
2: Uh, yeah. Well, we'll have to check in when you get a little further. I, I just finished Observation, another horror game, and I'm looking forward to jumping into, you know, it's May,
3: the horror time. <laughs> yeah. Um, Springtime in the air.
2: The death in your TV.
3: Hour.
2: Yeah. <laughs> well, the director of Hereditary does have their summer horror movie uh, coming out uh, this uh, pretty soon, so I'm excited about that. But before we take a break, uh, like I mentioned, I just wrapped up Observation, a game I mentioned uh, earlier this week, um, the new game from uh, uh, No Code, the studio that did uh, Stories Untold. Oh, great game. Um, the sort of like uh, interactive fiction game with a really elaborate aesthetic layer around it to sort of uh give a lot of uh trappings to you typing into a computer terminal um the setup for observation uh is and I'm gonna try and make sure I keep saying observation <laughs> instead of observer um is uh you know basically you're on a space station imagine if you were Hal nine thousand uh or right no yeah right? Yeah. yeah yeah nine thousand right okay I think so. um yeah, if you were if you were HAL and you could control the security systems, hatches and you're attempting to uh help the the people that are uh on the ship or not. And I that's not. sort of like the the basic setup. But what I want I I finished it, but Rob you just started it. Um I'm curious how you have taken or not taken to it so far. Uh it's so one, I think I might have been
4: a bit Ruined by your observation that you can ha uh, your your like your note that basically you can reject commands or make my the theory of what the game
2: might be. And it turns out it's not that at all. <laughs> so the problem is I am now basically
4: role playing that as if not maybe a malevolent AI, one that just relentlessly fucks with people like I am the <laughs> underpaid You're the customer service rep of of this game where just every response I'm like, could you repeat that? <laughs> like somebody asks, could you tell me if module eight is connected to module nine still? And I'm like, power in module eight is active. <laughs> and anyway, that's not what I asked. And I was like, air pressure. Nominal.
1: <laughs> and
4: so I can't like, now I can't help myself. And the other part of this is sometimes there's, there's a bit of like hidden object in this where it's, you need to find the thing and hit the switch so I can. And the camera panning is really slow because it's thematic. Like, Oh, it's a security camera. But also there's a few times where I'm accidentally fucking with this poor character just because I'm like, uh I don't know where that switch is. Give me a second. And like, there's times
2: where, so that's the weird disconnect of the game where they, uh, because it's a video game and they want the player to like discover things and find them on their own. But that clashes up against like the scientific premise, the technological advancement that has allowed this space station to, to, to exist, which is like, well, at the point where there's like a wide ranging AI that is, can speak and is taking care of like, automating all sorts of systems and subsystems and, and largely making the, the existence of humans on here just the maintenance of the AI. It seems awfully goofy to in look the at game the thing where they're like where they're like, hey, um Sam, which is the name of the, the, the AI, it's like, could you like open that hatch? Which means it's like <laughs> it's like Sam knows where the fucking hatch is. Like he, ha- I mean, they try and give some narrative justification of like, oh, a bunch of your systems are offline. You know, you don't have access to like your, your history or whatever. But that may be true. But nonetheless, it's like at a certain point you can swap to a sphere and like you get free roam around the space station. And it's so tough to control, which is like fun because it feels like thematically interesting but like again practically against the premise of the game it's like sam you incredible uh achievement of, of human <laughs> history knowledge culminating in the existence of this uh, someone who can like take care of these things for us like could you go across the room and open the hatch is like sure doink doink <laughs> doink doink yeah <laughs> <laughs> er, wait, sorry, I locked it. I did the wrong sequence like I gotta start this over. unlock open hatch. Thanks. It's like well, it's, and the game doesn't acknowledge it at all. the game is like doesn't do enough to be like, uh, Sam, you fucking asshole! Like, what is your like? What is your issue? Yeah,
4: it's it's weird. Like, this is an entire game basically told from the perspective of like the male robot in the Americans, where like you've got a limited range of jobs and you're not very good at any of them. But like, by God, everyone has to wait for you to plottingly go about your business. And like, there's several like, could you open this door? And I'm like, mm, I'm really sorry. I think I left my keys. I don't know which. Door. like is this the button I can't oh shit and ah. so there's there's that part of it I think the other funny thing though is think about how much harder think about how much more elaborate this game became because of like this choice about presentation how you interact with with the the game and I understand why it's very it's it's very cool looking game it's got that kind of menacing beauty that like um Quaron's gravity has for instance yes. right the stark bright light of light like coming in through a space station viewport or something like that. It's got all of that. Uh but at the same time the weird thing is there's moments where you like flip into like the station layout view where like there's just a big map of like what's there and what systems are in each module and all that. And I'm thinking this whole thing could have been done with like a Duskers type interface and might actually run a little more naturally if you were just basically the AI looking at a schematic and the human running around, you know, kind of in this ant hill, in this ant farm uh, view of the space station, that's harder to sell, right? You you want those, like, slightly spooky and menacing screenshots, and you want to, like, humanize the character who is in here, uh, see her face, you know, like, see that there's a person, not just a voice on the radio. But it is interesting to me because there are times when... I'm sitting there, I'm thinking, well, once I've learned the layout of a space, going eh, isn't as it, it like it's both a little dull, but also it doesn't make that kind of narrative sense, and you're thinking, I kind of wish I could just flip into like a systems interface a man- a management interface, give me a command terminal, yeah, and,
2: like yeah. i'm good mm-hmm. uh yeah, i uh having finished it uh. Those problems you have only get exasperated over time. Um I I deeply admire like the like what it's going for. Like I think it's a really interesting, like bold way to try and tell this kind of story. But I couldn't help but be like disappointed. And I think I think the game makes this mistake early on. When it gives you the accept or reject choice, it's conveying a level of agency over like what's about to happen where like all of a sudden I started thinking, oh my god like am I yeah like what well, rob you're doing is role playing what I was was hoping more from the game was like no, like that is going to be the narrative of like what are you gonna choose to do like AI like how are you going to approach the situation and there's there's none there's 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 literally no agency you have throughout the rest of the game you are just you know running down a checkbox and dealing with really cool interfaces. Like, it's an incredible looking game. It is so much fun to flip dials and turn switches. And if you like that stuff, there's like a whole sequence at one point where like I'm adjusting 12 different thruster systems and then flipping all <laughs> these switches along the way. It's just like, ooh, this is like, it's oh not that hard. It's not Oh my God, it's, it's a spooky dizzy box. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, it is. Yeah. It is. Um, none of the puzzles are particularly difficult because um, they want you to just keep moving. Like, there's literally like one sequence where... Um, it's like four phases to like turn off this one thing. And I'm like, oh shit. Like it's a really spooky part. Like I'm in the end game, like be kind of weird to get stuck on a puzzle for a while. And the game's like, don't worry, we got you. You are literally just flipping switches for four sequences. You're fine. (laughs) And like, it was still satisfying because just flipping big physical switches in the game, like was itself satisfying. And the story is pretty good. Um, uh, but it is not – if the, the tease I had at the beginning of this week of, like, oh, is it, you know, uh, a, a, a a choice-driven narrative over, like, how you would be as an AI on a ship, this isn't it. I th- The template of this game sets up really well for, like, I'd love to see someone try and do something like that. Like, what if you were uh, an AI that, like th- there – there's got to be, like, a better narrative conceit to set up why you're a bumbling AI – um, or or maybe you're a a human that's, like, pretending to be the AI. Like, I don't know. Like, there's ways you could do that where, like, I would love for a game that is choice-driven where you're on a spaceship space station, there are, like, five to ten humans, and just, like, I don't know, like, start fucking with them. Like, what, <laughs> what would you do in the scenario? Um, I think that'd be pretty cool. And I will say this game has, like, a several... Um, the cinematography is really terrific in the same way that Layers of Fear and Observer... Um, are smart in knowing what they can and can't do. There's like a, a a number of sequences and observation where it's just a really tight shot on like a character and you can't see much of what is going on. But like the, in the same way that stories and told is just like a shot of a desk and then just like spooky lights and good music. Like there'll be moments where like a lot of shit is happening around this character in the station or in space. And The implications of it is, like, terrifying, and it's, like, a kind of a grip-the-table sort of thing, but you're not actually seeing very much. Hmm. Um, Or there's another sequence where, like, one of the big reveals of the game is literally just, like, an extremely slow camera pan out. We were like, oh, am I supposed to hit spacebar to, like, go to the next scene? And it's like, no, like, they want you to sit and wait, and it goes on for, like, four minutes, like, a really long time to be, like, on a slow zoom out. By the end of it, you're like, ah, fuck, okay. Whoa! All right, this is okay. The scope of the, what is going on here is a little more than I expected. Um, so I think it's a a, a very smart horror game. Um, I, I really like the fact that that team No Code is trying to tell these stories in different ways um, because I think there's like a very easy path to have told a you know uh, AI story on a space station where things go wrong, and I thought this was a novel uh, way to do it that. Runs into some limitations, but I'd love to see other teams take a crack at, at the same concept. So um, I'd be curious to see where it's not that long, Rob. It's like, you know, four hours-ish. Uh, and at some point, it's probably worth just, like, anytime you're not quite sure what to do, just, like, have a walkthrough. Like, there's nothing satisfying about it. There are multiple moments where I was just like, this is not fun. Like, I'm not enjoying, like, the game saying, like, go find R7. I'm like, I don't know, man. <laughs> Like <laughs> I okay. Um, it feels like the game is actually like two hours long, but there's busy work that gets you to four. Um, yeah, Patrick, I have a very urgent question
3: because it's yeah, bothering me since
2: we talked about layers of
4: fear, and I was like paintings, mm-hmm. art. Mm-hmm. I swear to God, there was a horror trailer we saw not that long ago that we both got really into, and it was about some sort of like modern art
2: gallery that was fucking haunted. Yeah, that was um. From the director that did Nightcrawler, right? Uh, Jake Gyllenhaal, Uh I don't. I forget what that movie. Did that was. come and go? It did. It was. It went on. Uh, Jake Hall Art asshole. That's what I'm gonna take. Art, um, Art
3: asshole. Art asshole. Yeah, Velvet. Gotta get Chris
2: yeah, Ramos. Velvet Buzzsaw. <laughs> um, Velvet Buzzsaw. Yeah, it came.
3: Huh. Velvet
2: Buzzsaw came out on Netflix. Um, it's it uh, from the same. So Jake Hall to. Uh, uh, I'm glad that like Spider Man's coming out, so people can be ex- like. I think people know that he's a good actor, but I don't think people quite realize like how unbelievably good he can be, and like the rain, like the- his ability to like be in a B movie, but like with a like a plus caliber acting, which is what like a movie like Nightcrawler
5: is. Tony um,
2: Colette's in this too. Lot- yeah, there's a lot of great uh, character actors in in Velvet John Blood Malkovich. Saw. Um,
3: what would you call yeah, the Sands he, of Time?
2: Yes. Hmm? Prince of Persia. You know what? Oh. Thank you, Kata. Look, look <laughs> you're you, all are right. You, you busting up Jake Gyllenhaal for wanting to make a buck? He's like, yo, here's my <laughs> Disney <laughs> moment. You find mean, yourself
3: like... bald in Bulgaria, making <laughs> a pile of shit. All right?
2: Okay,
4: so I'm not going to be here next week for Waypoints. Uh-huh. So we got to do this right now. Okay. That Timothy Oliphant <laughs> interview in Rolling oh. Stone... <laughs> Is so. There's been a lot of like tasty excerpts being uh passed around Twitter because he's doing this uh, press tour for the Deadwood movie. It's a good interview. Those those excerpts you're seeing are are funny. I think it's, fr- it's s- from like
2: a TV critic, Alan Steppenwall, who does like really good yeah. like TV critic work. Just FYI.
4: But what was really striking to me is also just the way it's a profile of a guy who's really good at his job, but also it is just a job, which is so mm-hmm. fascinating. Like you you expect. Timothy Oliphant isn't, like, a, a huge star, but he's a very
2: well-regarded actor, a uh, bit more than a character actor. He's, yeah, he's um, in between, like, has so far said, "Ah, eh, I'm not going to do one of these Marvel movies. But you can still see him doing it at some point. <laughs> but even in, the interv- even in the interviews, he'd be like, well, this is some bullshit, isn't it? <laughs> and, and that's... Uh, it is so funny to see him
4: talking about, he's worked on some really good series, but what's interesting is he doesn't do any of that shit where he's like romanticizing like the craft or like how amazing the work is. It really is a guy, you're, you're asking, like you are asking a really successful person about their work and they are responding as if they are describing how their shift went last Thursday at the store Yep. (laughs) and I think that makes it a really fascinating interview because a lot of times when you see these press tour interviews you end up with actors who are maybe giving what they want they think people want to hear they elevate the idea of what acting is and what it is Mm -hmm. to work on these projects and here's Oliphant being like yeah this is a great show working on it sucks
1: yeah
2: hated it (laughs) So there, I want to, so, uh, uh, I came across, well, I follow Alan Sepinwall. He's a, again, like I said, a terrific TV critic. Um, um, I just read everything he writes about TV, even for the shows I don't watch, um, because his sensibilities line up with mine. But so he did this, uh, most of these quotes are coming from the interview that he did on set of the new Deadwood movie. And so I want to, I'll, I'll get to my quote, the one that like got passed around yesterday. And this one that I also posted last night in our, on our discord, um, in which Alan asks, uh. I've heard many conflicting accounts of the cancellation over the years of the movie, of the show Deadwood, which only had three seasons, but for convoluted reasons, like, didn't go on any further, um, including one uh, that pinned it to a panic that ensued after you bought a new house. Care to clarify? And so, uh, (laughs) Oliphant goes on to say, I'll tell you my version, and I already said this earlier. I fully understand that my memory of how it happened may not be how it happened, even for me. This is a story I've told over the years, and every time you tell it, it changes. And let me preface this with: I've never been one to let truth get in the way of a good story. <laughs> so if you're holding on to facts and you're going to call me on those facts, go fuck yourself.
1: <laughs> which is just mm,
2: so good. And so uh, a little after that, in which uh, Alan's kind of unpacking because there's really just never been a, like a great understanding of how like what he's getting here is like uh, like the way the story goes with Deadwood is that like Alphon bought a house. Because he heard they were they got a raise and they were gonna go on for a couple more seasons. And then like he got a call from the showrunner, David Milch, that said, like, oh, we're canceled. And so then he told his agent, oh, we're canceled. And then the agent told like the other actors, oh, we're canceled, when actually like HBO was just in the middle of a negotiation and hadn't really canceled it. But at that point, there had been so much fire over like, oh, we're canceled that the show just got canceled kind of by accident and miscommunication. Oh, God. And so, so up, yeah. Elephant, uh, is had bought this house, and so Alan uh, ends up, as a follow-up, asking, did you wind up selling the house? And he goes, says, no, I'm a glass-half-full type of motherfucker. And I said to myself, well, thank God I didn't know they were going to cancel the show. I would have never bought this house. <laughs> and let me put this on the list of why p- these people owe me. What, do we have to th- what, what we have to thank for this is the villain in Live Free or Die Hard and a fucking bald head in Bulgaria shooting Hitman. That's what that phone call led to. How about the villain in Die Hard, I said. Sure. And they're like, do you want to read the script? And I said, I get it. I'm in. I just bought a house. Did you not hear? They just canceled my fucking show. Yes, I'll do it. What about the video game adaptation? Yes to that too. I'm in. Oh, I've got to make up some TV money. You know what though? Those experiences were equally valuable. Oddly enough, those kinds of experiences, perhaps arguably, perhaps arguably more valuable than these, you know? You find yourself bald in Bulgaria, do some piece of shit <laughs> that will find, th- that will get you up a little earlier in the morning and make you work a little harder, which is just words <sighs> of wisdom that we should all live by. <laughs> really? And also, I need to watch the show Deadwood, because i all I know about it is that it has a lot of swears, and I love Timothy, Justified is a great show, and so I need to Get around to watching that before well, I guess the movie's coming out in like really soon, soon. so I guess I'll be a little behind. It's a great show. Um with uh, Timothy Words, why don't we take a break? We'll come back in just a When
0: it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all.
2: And we're back because Danielle. We're only back. We're otherwise just going to say we're at a break, let an ad roll, just, just just roll around in that sweet sweet money, buy a house, go be in a hitman movie. But then Danielle said, "I've got this shout out. I need to get it out of my system." Danielle, what's up?
3: I want to tell you a little bit. I mean, I I could connect this to to a bald thing, you know? Uh, Eggman uh, <laughs> is from Sonic, <laughs> uh, <laughs> right? But he's uh, a
2: doctor. Thank you. He doctor, went to
3: excuse me. I'm very sorry. You know that got him up in the morning. You know, I was was trying to become a doctor. Okay, I'm playing Team Sonic Racing. And I know maybe maybe not everybody's excited about Sonic these days. Maybe not everybody's excited about kart racing these days. But I really love the Sonic Racing games. Uh, Sonic and All-Stars Racing, I believe, was the name of the Mm -hmm. previous series from the previous generation. Which were really awesome kart racing games. Really, really fun, colorful. Lots of cool tracks with lots of secrets and shortcuts and cool things like that. And this is the sort of modern version of that. It's a new game. Uh, I think it's out today, maybe yesterday, two days came ago. came out this week, I think. This yeah. week, yes. Uh, I just want to give it a shout out uh, because it's just a good-ass kart racing game. A couple hours in, uh, so I can't speak yet to one of the things that I love the most about the previous games was how much just general Sega nostalgia was in them. You had like the Samba de Amigo Characters and tracks. You had special had uh, 5. Was
2: it was uh, Ryu from uh, Shenmue, and he was like yes. going around in a, a forklift, right? Like yes. His car. <laughs> Which Very is good. so good. It's good. so, so good. Uh, especially if
3: you're like a Dreamcast era person, like I absolutely am, love my Dreamcast, et cetera. Give me a Choo Choo
2: Rocket. Are they in there? Oh
3: my God. I love Choo Choo Rocket. I don't know. I don't actually know, so I can't actually speak to how much other Sega nostalgia is in this game. I haven't seen much of it yet, which is a little bit disappointing. Otherwise, they actually sort of revamped a lot of the actual systems of the game. You're on a team now instead of just racing yourself. In the sort of adventure mode, you have a team of two other racers. There's a lot of cool little mechanics around boosting and sort of drifting and getting like a slingshot boost, literally like drifting and drafting uh, in your. It's kind of like a,
2: a little, kind of like a double dash sequel. Yes, like the a controversial. The yeah. one controversial Mario Kart game
3: <laughs> <laughs> right? right. Uh, the, which, Mar- the
2: Mario Sunshine of Mario Kart's Double Dash.
3: Exactly. It, which also came out didn't Oh they come boo-hoo, out the same they year? decided
2: to try and do something different with it. Oh no, There's eight other ones we've been playing for the last <laughs> 20 years.
3: <laughs> yeah, right? Seriously. I like these new innovations. I think they're actually really fun. They're really cool. And there's like a whole adventure mode in the game. So it's not just Grand Prix. You're playing Grand Prix and then also like little one-off stages that are like, hey, get tons of rings or hey, learn how to drift really, really closely to poles and, and things like that. That's pretty awesome and pretty cool so just a shout out that's been very very fun playing that hoping to play it with my partner this weekend because she's also a huge fan of the uh sonic racing game so like i can give a you know an update to the multiplayer but thus far playing the sort of one player mode has been very fun i do hope there's more sega nostalgia and not just sonic characters which it's fine if it is i love sonic i love weird sonic even if it's like (laughs) <laughs> Slightly shitty sometimes. Still weird, enjoy weird Sonic. Weird Sonic
2: is my weird Sonic is my favorite Twitter. You, you know, know, just people out there.
3: <laughs> They're all the weird way out Sonic.
2: there. Do it, is the way. multiplayer? Um, are you on the same team or do you both have like separate teams that like you've amassed? Very good question. Right, well, we'll I haven't have played to, it yet. Uh, I've just been playing right, the single well, player
3: thus far, but it's really fun and colorful, and the racing actually feels very fun and very good, and has those little tweaks to it that I think are enjoyable.
2: I think cool. well, we'll, we'll revisit that,
3: hell yeah. Go ahead, Gatto.
5: I think they need to take oh. the car away from Sonic.
3: <laughs> but he's too, f- he's too fast. <laughs> he's faster he on be... foot. You're right. He is faster on but foot. But that's i well, Sonic why... R.
2: I know that is. It, it's the Superman problem, you know? You gotta yeah. give him like a <laughs> yep. handicap.
5: Yep. Sonic R was a game I played a lot and was very bad, but also super I really enjoyed Sonic it. Racing. <laughs> You're gotta allowed. keep
2: your feet back on the ground. <laughs> Everybody soon. You know Around." <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, this is a lot of the Sonic <laughs> R soundtrack. Good. Uh oh, I was also God. like de- uh like the I was a PlayStation kid growing up, but then like later got into the Saturn after um I got into the Dreamcast and like realized I'd missed yeah. out on like a lot of Sega stuff. So I had
5: Sonic um, R on PC.
1: Whoa
2: Yeah. I don't, because I never owned a what was it a Saturn game. Well, yeah, oh, cause I guess that's back game. when they were doing like those like, occasional weird PC ports, right? Yeah. Like, saying, like yeah. the Final Fantasy 7 one published by Yeah, Eidos? yeah. Mm. I don't, I don't know why, weird. but that's where I played Sonic R.
5: <laughs>
1: hey,
4: as long I preferred as you Sonic it. R Factor. <laughs> <laughs> the Handley model was just way more convincing. <laughs> wah, wah, wah. Uh,
2: okay. um, <laughs> Kato. You, you were you in our Discord earlier this week. You were pitching Austin on uh, a game, sort of like a yeah. Slay the Spire um, adjacent to a game called Nowhere Profit. So, yeah, why don't, you, why don't you pitch all of us? Uh, do you like Slay the Spire? I mean, it was four in the morning. <laughs> I was supposed to have gone home hours earlier. Um, Rob walks in and is like, "Why the fuck is everyone here playing Slay the Spire at four in the morning?" <laughs> Good thing it was three in the morning, by the way. Because <laughs> nice. cool. I
4: it was warm warm length, out huh? with three and yeah, then no well, one left till six.
2: Well, you know, um so yeah, I think I like this Latin i am waiting for Do you like the, FTL? Switch, the Switch version. Uh so I I liked what I played. I didn't play a whole lot of it.
5: Okay. So take take the like map level stuff from FTL. Okay. And the card based kind of combat from Slay the Spire. And you have a very similar thing. Actually, the combat is maybe different And more of the deck building aspects of Slay the Spire, I would say. But um the the, the Prophet is this kind of um they call it Dust Punk uh setting, uh kind of um drawing on uh uh Indian uh culture and but also with a twist of being like cyberpunk future but mostly set in desert arid areas um where you are the prophet uh and you you and your followers are trying to make it to a um a like promised a a, a space called the crypt that will like you know that's just like the end state how you win (laughs) the game that's how you say it saved the world. Yay. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the way that they like set up this, um, it, there's this map with many uh, paths and uh, traveling between. Um, like, uh, these two, uh, traveling between crossroads, like traveling point to point, you need, uh, a couple of resources. You need food to feed everyone. And also a secondary, secondary resource called hope, which is just like, you know, how many, like, if you lose all hope, people start peeling off from your, Mm. your followers start like giving up and going away. Um, Mm. so, and in between points you can get into, um, like you get like FTL or, um, like, uh, what's the other one I was thinking of just now? Like battle tech also does this. Like, you know, you get these like little moments of like story where like you have to make decisions and depending on the followers that you have. And if you have certain cards in your deck, you will have different options, things like that. Um, and then the, the way that it's presented, the way that the combat it works out is that you have two decks. One of them is your followers and one of them is like actions that you do as the leader, um, and whenever um, if you've ever played like Hearthstone or Magic the Gathering it's set up the same way where you like play your followers and they're the ones dealing damage to other things normally and you don't really have to deal with the the the, the enemies on the on the board as much as you you're trying to deal damage to the enemy leader um but in this game when you lose one of those uh, characters in combat scenario, they are now wounded. So the next time you go into a combat scenario, they are weaker, and if they get Hmm. killed again, they die for good. So there's a certain level of like, in certain situations in Magic the Gathering, which I played a lot of, you will do this thing called chump blocking, which is like you take a very weak creature and you put it in front of a huge creature because it'll soak all the damage and you won't get hurt. And that sort of play is discouraged here because then you're gonna lose out on that uh, on that card in your deck. And once you don't have any cards in your deck and you go to draw a card at the beginning of your turn, you just take damage if there's nothing there. So there's a certain amount of cards that you want to have in your deck so you're not running out and then getting hurt. Um, but also like so it's a, and also like the way it presents it, uh, it always shows you your your followers at the bottom of the screen on the map screen and like each follower has a distinct name and when um one of the uh what's it called when one of the encounters happens it'll name if if there's an option because you have x follower who's an engineer it'll use their name in the in the like dialogue and so like you hmm. you start to get more connected to these uh cards as actual people that are following you and so it it like really twists that like like i'm trying my best to like take care of these like you feel like a caretaker <laughs> yeah. of this deck um a lot more than like i would ever care or think about the creatures in my magic deck for example right um and it's really interesting it's pretty hard um they have they have the art is great like it's really it's a really cool like they do a lot of really cool things with the setting and um it's uh you know not it's it's still it, the what i played was a beta so it's not out yet um and i only was able to play the first map like each map has like a boss at the end of it and then you're supposed to move on to another map and i'm not sure how many maps it takes to get to the like end of the end of a run but it's also a rogue like in that as you um do certain actions you unlock things for both your caravan which are your followers which there's like different decks like there's a follower deck that is called the um, the forgotten which are like mostly normal people that have survived whatever apocalypse happened in this world there's a deck that's uh mostly made up of beasts of animals like you're basically like running this like big like you're like a rancher, essentially. <laughs> um, or and there's like another one that I um, didn't get to play with as much, which are more like um, people that had are, are like bandits. So like, st- there's a lot of stealth elements to them. Ooh. The mechanics are very interesting. It's a very good, very well built like uh, uh, card game. And then also this like wrapper l- of uh, having to like keep your keep your followers alive is uh makes for a very interesting tension in the combat
2: that sounds really cool
5: yeah Yeah, i'm very excited uh, to play more of it when it actually comes out because there's also i keep not only are there different follower groups but like as your leader you can you have like different classes that'll give you different decks for what your leader actions are and um yeah it's it's got that thing too where uh you can't just throw out cards out of your deck for your leader deck. Like in Slay of the Spire, I think you have to pay some sort of resource sometimes to get rid of things to like make things uh, a little more streamlined. Um, it's it's great. It's got a lot there. I'm very excited to see what more gets added to the full game.
2: You said it's a beta, does that mean it's an early access, or is there like a different way of? No, Playing it was just like a right off, it are. was
5: a closed beta this past weekend, and I think they're running another one. so it's like, go follow their. They have a it's up on Steam. uh you can like on their website it it they'll like send out an email for the next thing. I think it's supposed to be an open beta. um, but the closed beta was just this past weekend and it ended on Wednesday. So this is more like, hey pay attention to this for next time because it's it's worth checking out when when they do go uh live.
3: What's it called again?
2: Nowhere profit.
3: Nowhere profit. I like that. Yeah.
2: Uh yeah, I've been getting uh I've spent a little more time with uh Steamworld Quest, um which is also nice. sort of like a, a a deck builder uh RPG, like it, it needs to be my toes before like jumping a little deeper in with like a Slay the Spire type thing. Uh-huh. Um and uh the, the, the I you know, was kind of cruised through the first like 4 hours without much difficulty and now it's finally amping that up a little bit and, and more specifically giving me like more to do with my characters. And so like mm-hmm. um, like the way it was set up before is like you've got a like a healer type who does a lot of defensive buffs. You have an attacker type and you have a magic type. And now I just got this uh fourth character who is like a lot more interesting and like switches up the dynamics of my uh style a lot. If you choose, like if you want something that's a little more advanced, like for the way this character works is – he, uh, or they change masks. And so, uh, like, let's say you have a basic attack. Like, the way Steamroll Quest combat works is like, um, each card costs a certain amount of points. And there are, there are cards that don't cost any points, but those build up like your, your point total. So, like, a, like a basic attack that doesn't do much damage doesn't cost anything, but you're building up a point to a crew that you can use for a card that actually does cost something. Mm. And so, um, this one character that I that I just got, um, you want them to be switching masks because it turns like a regular attack into a critical hit if you switch masks. So it's like if you're on like the red mask, but then you switch over to the yellow mask, like it's a much more powerful attack if you're switching as opposed to just like sticking with the yellow mask. Mm. And so like it encourages you then to like think really strategically about the the deck you're building. And it's only eight cards and you often never have access to more than like, you know, 15 anyway. So you can't like, screw up the deck too bad because uh-huh. they're really putting a lot of guardrails um in place, at least early on to make sure that you, um, you don't you'll always end up with something you can use. But like, I keep going in and like, f- okay, how can I like limit what I have so that I'm constantly switching between masks. And like, sometimes that mask might be like one I got is uh a uh, one that will, uh gives a buff to another character where like they have a 60% chance of critical hits. And so it's like, okay, switch mask, critical hit buff and like that ups up the character, the next character for like their sets of attacks, and so it's become a lot more dynamic and interesting in a way that uh, if if you like me are have not played these types of games get like turned off or nervous about like card based games, even if like functionally they don't seem that much different than like a regular RPG where you'd be equipping things. Um, Steamroll Quest does a, an exceptional job so far of like in the intro area taking it to almost a boring place where you're like yeah i get how this works like okay (laughs) like there's not a lot here and then starts layering in more complexities um so that like i'm excited and fresh and want to engage with them whereas if the game had given me this character to start or said like here's six characters like pick which one you want i think i would have gotten overwhelmed and like brushed it aside whereas now i'm like fuck yeah like let's make this game harder but a little more interesting to play um so yeah i'm enjoying my time deeper uh, into to steam world uh quest um let's see uh as we near the end here rob i wanted to make sure we uh we're gonna you know we're doing this thing we're gonna shout out some more pieces stuff going up on the site this week um do you want to pitch people on uh dante's piece that uh well at this point when this goes live it went up a couple days ago but uh he wrote about overwatch yeah,
4: uh, Dante wrote about some new skins that came out for the, new, the latest Overwatch anniversary event, or coming out for the uh, Overwatch anniversary event. And uh, there's a couple questionable ones in there. One that was talked about on Twitter a little bit was uh, the fact that there is a, an Academy Diva skin, which is uh, her in a school uniform which has connotations that a lot of people are not wild about, and justly so. Uh, But the thing Dante actually focused in on is the fact that they took one of the newer characters, Bridget, and put her in police riot gear. And his position is kind of talking about how just in making a character skin like this uh, and creating a sort of cartoony, cool-looking riot cop skin for Bridget aren't you also implicitly kind of celebrating police militarization? And how are you, like, first of all, how are you kind of uncritically releasing that in the world in 2019 when this country is on a daily basis now seeing national headline stories about police abuses, police violence, Mm -hmm. uh, police malfeasance, and riot cops are increasingly a sort of menacing uh, presence for any kind of, like, Uh, leftist protest or demonstration uh, happening anywhere in the country. And then the other part of this is how do you square, can you square the sort of heroic aspirational nature of these characters, their backstory with the idea that, oh yeah, and they're also a cop because Increasingly, what we what we see here is that Overwatch is portraying these characters as, uh, you know, noble on the side of justice. Uh, you know, being you know being there for the underdog, helping out those in need. And then if you have one of them dressing up as a riot cop, what you kind of have there is oh yeah, but Bridget loves state violence <laughs> against
1: oh, God. against God.
4: civilians. Uh, so I, I think that's that's sort of the the piece he wrote uh, digging into some of that stuff. And my suspicion is there's not good answers, right? This is, this is kind of a the, – the whole thing with creating a lot of skins for for characters in games, there's always a weird element of dress-up about it and what what is the fantasy about seeing a character presented uh, in this different way. Blizzard gets this wrong, I would say more than most, right? Like I <laughs> and especially don't think in it's- a
2: game that is like uh, what makes Overwatch so fascinating in terms of like the critical response and like sort of the conversation around it is that on the one hand you you can acknowledge that like they have like a really diverse in some ways not always cast and one that tries to like celebrate that diversity and like be an inclusionary game like that's part of their pitch right is is that like we're we're an inclusive game. We're thoughtful about this. We're, we're we're this is something that is top of mind, and we are creating characters and creating backstories for those characters. At the same time, it seems like every time they do it, they also step in it in a way that's like, <laughs> what? Like how? Like you, you? We're at the point. This has happened so many times that you're just ready. Like, all right, cool, but where's the shoe? It's got to drop. Like yep. there's there's something out here. And it's just, it's it's just, I find myself surprised that it seems to happen over and over again.
3: Can I ask, if Bridget is supposed to be a cop? No. So they just picked this randomly, like, oh, you know who would be a cop? She's got a
2: big shield.
3: She has a big shield. Oh God, that's well, it's also the anniver.
2: It's also right. It's the anniversary celebration in which, like, part of the anniversary celebration is all sorts of like uh, wild eccentric skins for the characters in which like ah look at them in thing that doesn't make that much sense but is like yeah, funny shit. relative to your expectations for the character um so like, that's the context in which okay. a bunch of these including the the, the riot gear one is coming in is like you know trailers going out promising a bunch of skins that are like you know really strange and different sure. um and eccentric sure gotcha. yeah it's
4: also i think there's a point where at what point do you stop being surprised by Blizzard having these rescues, right, yeah. right? Like, I mean, fa- like famously, you have the issue where, for all the diversity of heroes in there in, in Overwatch, for instance, like uh, black women, strangely, still not represented. Well, uh, and, they, among and, and like,
2: Rob, and the way they they step in it is, they like, I remember Gita Jackson like Akataka wrote a piece, or maybe she just quoted on Twitter. I can't remember exactly, but there was like a quote uh, attributed to Jeff Kaplan, who's like the O, you know, uh, creative director or whatever of of Overwatch, he's the person who's always in the videos. Um, it was like, oh, we've been working, kind of tinkering with a character for like the last five years. It's like, excuse, like excuse me. It's like, well, you know, we'll get around to putting a black woman in the game. And God. believe me, we've thought we've got we've got sketches. Like we've got it. Um, it's like, okay, all right. You know, you could just put it in the game.
3: All right, Jeff. Yeah. yeah. And,
2: right, and
4: I, I think there's also sort of um, kind of a. There was kind of a rolling clusterfuck around the character of Farah, if if memory serves, about them sort of playing around with different identities that they didn't have a super good handle on. And then retconning, like trying to cover their screw ups with character retcons that changed the characters uh, like like ethnic heritage and background. All to basically duck the fact that they had uh, done some massively uh, disrespectful and also clueless things around the idea of what Indian can mean. Um,
2: well, so also just not fessing up to like, look, you know, if in the if being top of mind is like we should we want to be more inclusive, and then when you do screw up, which like is not uncommon, right? Like it's it it is uh, appreciable that they're making the effort, but in the Act of making the effort you make. I think part of the frustration of Blizzard is like them not owning up and like taking ownership of the mistakes and instead just hand waving it and doing like kind of retconny stuff where it's do not no, wow, okay. Someone wrote a piece, pointed something on Reddit, uh, ooh, like a little dicey. Don't worry, we'll just figure it out over here, instead of like stepping up to the plate and like it, like fully owning your mistakes as a way of taking ownership of it and and trying to do better going forward. It's it's more just of course there's something yeah. fucked up and wrong, and, you know, they just kind of quietly edit it in the background.
4: Yeah. I should mention here, uh, in addition to Dante's piece, which is on the site and you should read, uh, Dia wrote a great piece, uh, Dia Lazzina wrote a great piece uh, on Medium, so you officially made Farah a native. If you want to sort of get caught up with, so how did that whole arc happen for Farah? It sort of unpacks the loaded kind of imagery that Overwatch frequently traffics in without fully understanding, like, context um.
2: Yeah. So it's it's weird. Yeah. Danielle, what what else? What do you want to sh- you? You know, you're around the waypoint, Vice uh, Games still, <laughs> but you know, you're still off here. doing other things. Like, what are what are, what are some of the interesting stories that you've been been working with that you want to you know shout out and point people towards if they're interested in following some of the stuff that you've been been handling uh, in other parts of Ice?
3: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so you can find all of that at at Vice Reports on Instagram. I know Instagram might be scary for you. Uh, you might call it the gram. You might call it your IG. and it, It's all good either way. Uh, <laughs> but we're doing some stories about uh, teens who are attending the Stop the Bans rallies uh, uh, regarding abortion ban. It's the really fucked up things that are happening in various states across the country. Uh, we'll be having a couple of those going up in the next week or so. And we're also doing uh, a lot of coverage. We're still accepting pitches Around college advice. uh, But those, like, if you're a recent college grad or a current college student, uh, we're gonna be doing a lot of college advice. We're gonna be doing an entire summer full of college advice, things that people wish they knew going into college, which has been, by the way, just like a wild experience. We've got over 400 pitches for that. And, you know, some of them are a little hilarious and we're not gonna use them, but some of them are like incredibly heartfelt, really, really beautiful. Uh, there was a pitch from somebody who, um, I, I won't name names or anything, but somebody who actually used going to college and going to nursing school as like sort of an excuse to get clean. They're an addict. And like, they were like, you know what? I just need something real intense and I want to help people. And they were like, I'm going to nursing school, which was like one of the most beautiful and moving things I've read in a really long time. Uh, so yeah, this is all to say at Vice Reports, uh, we're doing a lot of interesting stories there. And also, of course, I'm still writing about games. So, you know, don't miss me too much. I'm still here.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Um, All right. Well, I think that is going to do it for this episode. I wanted to talk about this new fucking handheld with a crank, but we'll save that for next week. Um, (laughs) Suffice to say, I am deeply interested in the weird (laughs) gaming handheld with a crank that has a black and white screen and it's not backlit. What? Okay. If you you Um, play Donkey Kong on it. Wait, it it's not freaky, backlit? No. no. God. What? Damn it. <laughs> my 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 understanding is that you should think of the screen sort of like e-ink uh, uh, okay. sort of thing. Um, so that uh, uh. you need very little light for it to function. Like mm. the kind of thing where you could have a, a desk lamp not particularly close to you and it'll still work, but it won't work in complete darkness. Mm. Um that is that is my uh, 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 what I have I have heard. I'm gonna have a longer feature about that um, up next week, so maybe <laughs> we'll we'll hold that till next week. but yeah, you can go read about uh, Playdate, the new um, uh, gaming handheld from uh, panic uh, up on the site now. but uh, yeah, that's gonna do it for us. Danielle, I mean you advice reports, but where else can people follow you?
3: Oh you can find me at Danielle RI and I will post a lot of pet pictures. And also, uh, uh, jujitsu things. So if you want either of those, you should follow me there too.
2: Kato
5: at a underscore Kato underscore appears on Twitter.
2: Nailed it, Rob. <laughs> at Rob Zachney. Uh, you can follow me at Patrick Club. You can follow everything that uh, Vice Games does at Waypoint? <laughs> I don't know if I'll ever be able to say that with a straight face. <laughs> uh, read everything we do at Um Our thanks to Bowen for the track Miss You off the EP Pale Machine. You can follow more of Bowen's work at waypoint.zone slash Bowen. We'll be back on Monday. Maybe with Austin? I no, know. not Monday. You know, no? No? Monday's Memorial Day. Everyone's off. Oh, yeah, we have a day right. off! Right! Fuck Mondays. The beach.
5: I don't know if we'll do a... Top of the yeah. I
2: don't know if we'll have. I don't know what we'll do next week. We'll figure we'll that figure out. I'm uh, going so to no, Michigan.
3: Yeah. yeah Rob,
2: Rob, well, Rob, you're gone next week, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> to Michigan. Yeah. <laughs> Enjoy Michigan. Michigan's a beautiful state. It yeah, is. Yeah. Rob, Michigan's all right. Um. So yeah, we'll be back next week. Uh, with a shorter week. We'll I will figure it out. I don't know exactly what we're gonna do. We probably should. It's Thursday. We got time. We'll figure that out. But um, you know, we've got Danielle. We we've been struggling. With these Friday podcasts when Danielle's not on, we don't know what to do. So, thankfully, she is here. So, Danielle, why don't you bring us home?
3: All right. Be good and be good at it.
2: Death to Jean-Pierre. <laughs> <laughs> Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns. Uh, good. Extremely good. Good. All right. Hey, pod, well yeah.
3: cool. good pod. That was fun. Yeah,
2: good, good, good stuff.
3: Fun pod. Oh uh... Rob, I, I want you to know this. Yeah. I'm on the second to last episode of Revolutions season three on the French Revolution. I made it all the way at episode fifty. Oh wow, yeah damn almost done
4: i'm uh not that far um, (laughs) i'm like midway through the reign of terror but it's pretty um harrowing
3: yep i couldn't tell you three quarters of what i've listened to but i listened to it and many of them multiple times so (laughs) i'm learning a lot of
4: french names
3: it is sure is (laughs)
4: Why are they called the Girondins? I don't know. I truly
3: have no idea. That one I could never figure out. The what? Girondins.
4: And the They're the people that have to get it in the neck uh, for the reign of terror to really take off and the revolution to be secured.
3: Yep. And then for Napoleon to take it all. Take it all at the end.
5: Robespierre.
3: Maximilian Robespierre.
5: Guy's all right.
3: Yeah.
4: That's well,
5: a word I know associated with the French Revolution.
3: He, he loses <laughs> the thread a little bit. Basically, yeah.
4: out there saying like, "This is a bad idea. You don't want to create institutions of this kind of power." Is this the way you want the revolution to go? Really? All right. Yeah. And then they're like, "All right, here have dictatorial power," and he's like, "Let me be a case and fucking point."
3: Let me <laughs> chop. Some I warned strings. you. I
5: warned you, y'all. Kind of. I yeah. warned
4: you about monarch. I think Would the Rose Pierre as performance art. Angle has been underexamined by historians, uh, but, yeah.
3: (laughs) Oh, uh, should I clap or?
5: Either one. I can clap. You can clap.
2: You're not here that often, Danielle. You can clap and you can pick the number. You know. You know, special privileges. (laughs) I feel truly special.
3: Uh, Let's go on 43.
5: Good? Good. Alright. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Good clap.
1: Oh. <sighs> uh, okay.
2: Alright.
5: Oh, I didn't make them big.
2: What? Excuse me, Kato. It's okay. I I can... Gotta make them big. You
5: gotta make make them big. What? Gotta big. make them big. Gotta, oh.
3: <laughs> man. So I awesome. can see big. you a little better. <laughs> oh, I'm getting this old, actually,
2: you know? This is probably not episode two thirty-seven, right? It's probably Two 230. thirty-eight. Okay. All right. Three, two...